Tonight's sermon is from Ephesians 2, 10 through 22. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once you who were once once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached, Peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. When I was a kid and I would see a long text that the preacher was going to preach from, I would immediately get annoyed. And I wonder if anybody here just went like, good grief, really, Chris? Really? There's a reason. There's a reason for this. Look, 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 look at the first line there. For we are his workmanship. You see that right there? This begins that way. Then look at the very last line. Being built together in a dwelling place for God. You see, you get, you get how, you get the reason I draw your attention to those two points is this is one coherent thought. It's, I'm going to take the time in the weeks ahead to go through the details. There's a lot of stuff in here, a lot of stuff that even as you heard it, kind of went, bing, you didn't even hear it. It just rolls right off your ear because you don't recognize. It's not living. We don't think about covenants. We don't, we're not there. We're going to get there. But, but I wanted to get you the picture because this is one thought, you see. One coherent idea he has here about good works. And that's where, that's where, we're, that's where, that's, that's where I'm landing today. I wanted to talk about this because I think about this all the time. Like, what creates good works in people? Like, what, what, what creates the actual action of becoming good? You've heard me complain about this, and I, it is a real complaint of mine. Uh, God, when he called me, he did not call somebody who is good at being good. I don't have a, I don't have a knack for it. I remember, I, remember, uh, I remember a guy I went to seminary. His name was Bob. And uh, Bob was 
the man. I mean, he was the ace. He was the pastor. I mean, you just looked at him and went, he's a pastor. He walked like a pastor. He talked like a pastor. He acted like a pastor. He had the tones of a pastor. He was gentle like a And I just couldn't stand him. And I, that's me, right? But, I, but a lot of it's because I envied him. I envied him. Now, appearance can be, can be deceiving. I did think he was what he appeared to be. I found out years later that he had spoken ill of me to somebody else. And I remember being so disappointed, like, what? Oh, that was just a loaded crap like my, my, my goodness, too? He's just as bad as me? Yeah. People who are good at looking good aren't necessarily good at all, are they? Not at all. Are you good at looking good, some of you? Some of you are good at looking good, I think. You're good at looking good for your pastor, at least. But, but here's, here's the point, though. I, I'm not any good at it, and I, I'm always asking myself, what's going to create good works? What's going to make it happen, really? Or let's ask an even deeper question. How much is going to happen? I don't really know if I have an answer to that. I don't know how much you or I will increase in godliness under our Father's, direct, under our father's calling or his, his plan, right? What he has chosen. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like sometimes. I'm trying to find out. I'm trying to understand it. One of the things that I, 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 that I wanted to, that, that, that really is hunger in me, that I, I want to be a good person, but I often feel, I feel like I'm failing. I felt like I failed so much in life sometimes that I feel like I'm not even sure it's possible anymore to be better. <laughs> it seems like I'm so hardwired to be wicked. But you know what? This text, bam, it just, it just kicks my butt. It kicks my butt. Because it says, God prepared good works for me. You know what that means? That means Chris Robbins can do good works. And I refuse to believe that half the time. But the scriptures say it. So who cares what I say? And who cares what I think? Amen? Amen. And that, that rebuttal, that rebuttal right there, Right on the face of it. That rebuttal right there. God prepared good works for you, Chris. You're not exempt. Therefore, it is possible for Chris Robbins to do good things in this world. Not because I'm a good person, but because I have a good God. A good God who is arriving before... Oh, I just... I love this... Ta- I think there's more... I think there's something here. That's what I'm kind of excited about. All right? So that's, that's all I... That's what I want to talk about. Like, what, how do we get to the place where we're good? Like we're acting out this goodness. Like, like we're a part of verse 10. When is verse 10 going to happen? Well, it's already happening. I think it's probably happening right now. God's you know, never failed. Uh, so I, I have three, three things that, that come to me in this text that I want to share with you. The first is this, is that, that we, we, we have to get with the program. We're not... God is playing t-ball. I'll explain what I mean right there. The second point is, there's no, umpire, there's no umpire on the field anymore. The third thing is, the third thing is, it's God's field of dreams. Now, that's, that's, my, that's my teaser for the outline. You guys intrigued? All right, let's begin with the first point. God's playing t-ball. I did you? I, I I did not grow up playing any sports. I I my father thought that they were a waste of time. 
I think that was just an excuse for his own laziness, but that's me, maybe, I don't know, he just didn't want to be bothered with the kids, right? But I know how to throw a ball, I don't know anything. And so um, I kind of got cheated in life by that. I'm very bitter about it. And I'm kidding. But I remember the first time I take one of my sons to T-ball. I, I couldn't believe this thing. I couldn't, if you're, do you know what T-ball is? What they do, you know those little, you know those little, you know those little um, guides on the road that flop around, the ones that stand up straight and if you hit them they fall over, like, like little stands that, to, to guide your car all over the streets? Well, they've got little stands like that for T-balls called. And what they do is they put a little ball on top of a stand and all the little kids have to do is come out and just hit that ball off that, off that little stand. That's all they have to do. It's really funny. I mean, these are usually like kindergarten age. And, you know, when kindergartners are playing a game like this, they often miss the ball that's right there. Like, they'll miss it full on. Like, they'll strike out. It's, I've seen it happen. I've seen kids strike out with T-ball. It's like, wow, that's a, that would have been me. That would have been Corey, yeah, yeah. And Corey's raising his hand, that's me. Um, and, 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 it's, and, and the comedy just continues, right? Because sometimes the kid goes the wrong way. He heads towards third base instead of first, you know? And then everybody's screaming, and the cat, parents are screaming, and, and, and both coaches are usually trying to help every kid do the right thing, and, you know, kids throw the ball the wrong way. It's, it's just a comedy of errors. And, gosh, you know, it's such a comedy of, of mishaps and, and, and a lack of organization and inability to do anything. It's probably a perfect picture of the church. But let's not go there yet. T-ball. This is what I realized, what verse 10 is saying now. God's playing T-ball. That's the only game he plays with you, Clay. He sets it all up for you. Guys, 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 you got to hear this. And because you know what this does? This thunders into my heart. There's no excuse for you not being holy and not going out this door to do something good for somebody and living a life for Christ. There is no reason why you can't do that. You have no excuse. None. No, no. why don't you all say it to me? Chris, you have no excuse. I have no excuse. God's playing t-ball. All I have to do and all you need to do is show up and swing the bat. Look, 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 planning a church is impossible. I bet, I don't know how leading worship's harder than heck. It's taxing, it's destructive, all this stuff, witnessing is terrifying. No, it's not. No, we make all that stuff up in our own heads a lot of times. God's the one out there preparing the works for us. We, we've been invited to walk in. And, you know, and a lot of times we work it up so hard about what we have to do, we don't even get to the point of acting, right? Oh, I'm so scared, or I don't know how. And God's not saying, God is saying, your ability, <laughs> not an issue. <laughs> your gifts, your talents, not an issue. Your experience, not an issue. I plan, I prepare, I perform. Now, why is this so important? Because it's all got to be about grace. You see, it's all got to be him. If it's any part of Gina or any Tyler Carol or even my wife, it is nothing. It is worse than nothing. It's got to be all him. That's grace. Man, we... I was thinking about this text. It's like, you know, it's funny. He, he, he uses this. He, he's telling them to go out there and do this right before he gives them the assignment to cross racial boundaries. 
Now, I think we're all pretty familiar with the fact that racial tension is about the worst tension there is possibly between groups. Like, it's the worst it gets, right? When you have racial conflict. That's the first problem. How do you solve that problem? Paul knows. Show up for the work of God. <sighs> Guys, do you hear it? Do you hear it? Are you trust? We need to learn to trust him deeply for the things he wants to do. And he can do it with any old hack he chooses. And you know how I know that? Because you're looking at one. Praise him. You know, there's an invitation to dare. There's an invitation to walk out. There's an invitation to hope. There's an invitation to act. There's an invitation to be brave because it's not you. Praise him. There's an invitation to walk through this world in holiness only dependent on grace. Praise him. I want to live like that. Dad, I want to be there. I'm not there yet. You know, it's funny. So many, there's so many... Sometimes I wonder why we're not more holy. And I think I, I think I know why. I think God says no to your desire to be holiness because of three, three, three reasons we, a couple things we do with it. A lot of us, a lot of us um, will act helpless. Or we, or, 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 or we say, well, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. It's too hard for me. Or we say we want to be good and we ask God to be good so that we can look good in front of others. This is one of my worst problems, y'all. The reason I wanted to be holy was so I could pull off this job. That was it. <laughs> didn't really care if it glorified Jesus. I just didn't want to be a screw-up. I didn't want to be a cautionary tale around the water cooler at Presbytery meetings. I didn't want to be whispered about being that guy. And that was why I wanted to be holy. I was scared. I'm screwing everything up. A lot of us want to be holy for others. We want to be holy because our mom wants us to be. We want to be holy because it's an expectation. We want to be holy because we'll just feel better about ourselves, and we won't feel like such a loser all the time. We want to be holy for so many things other than the glory and majesty and worthiness of Jesus. So what has God got to do? He's got to take it out of your hands, and he's got to be the one to do the holiness, because you can't do it. <laughs> you can't even come up with a good motive for it. You can't. Trust him utterly. He's got to do it all. Isn't that a relief? <laughs> Isn't that a message of hope? Doesn't that invite you in? You know, it makes me want to dare to do things. It makes me want to get out of here and do things. You know, and it, it's funny, because... Uh, I was writing something in here, something that really, really hit my heart. Let me see if I can find it. Maybe not. All excuses are leveled. And you, I was talking about myself, all of us can do good works. God just said so. <sighs> all right, so God makes it so. God's playing T-ball. I'm signing up. Praise him. Now, Here's the second part of the story on the little playing field I'm describing. God fired the umpire. All right, let's take a look at verse 15. Take a look at verse 15 with me. It's kind of, a, it's kind of an important verse in the New Testament. 
By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. What's the first reason, the first advertisement of hope that you can be a good person? It's this, that God does the work. Praise him. What's the second great advertisement of hope? The law no longer applies. Praise him. What? The referee, the referees, it's umpires. I always forget. Umpires, (laughs) umpires are not on the field. God has abolished the law. Now, 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 wait a second. You say abolish. What does this mean by abolish? This is an important word. It's not the, not the word, those of you who are good, my good theological students from Matthew 5, 17. Do not think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Now, that word abolish there, it's a completely different word in Greek. It means to destroy. It's from the luo word group, which is the first word you learn in Greek. It's to loose, because the word for loosing, destruction. God's like, Jesus says, don't think I came to do that. This word for abolish here is totally different. This means to make, to render ineffective. It means to neutralize something. It doesn't mean to get rid of it or destroy it or it disappears. Right? It just means it no longer does what it's supposed to do. It no longer can, what does the law no longer do? It no longer condemns. Well, anybody who's paying attention when I just said that, especially you, Corey, should be quick to say, then, Chris, there's no circumstances under which you should condemn yourself. And you'd be right. And you better say it to me at some point when I need it. You too, Spencer. I saw you. All of you. I need to hear that, right? I need to hear these things. As much as you do. This idea that somehow the law has been made inert is meant to be one of those things that gets you out the door because you see, if there's no condemnation, if there's no operating umpire waiting to catch you, oh, you foul, you're out, you're out. That is not a part of the game anymore, and it's just table. Think, what the heck, why aren't you at play in the fields of the Lord? All of us, seriously, why aren't we at play in the fields of our God? Now, when I say the law has been inert, set aside, it's because being good can never earn a place before God now, right? That's abolished. It never was there. It's not there. Even deeper than that, as we go into the riddle of what the law is, huh, the law has not disappeared, though. How do I know that for sure? How do I know for sure that, God, that, that, that Paul's not just kicking the law to the curb? It's kind of funny. Look in, look in verse 10. What was prepared beforehand? What was prepared beforehand? What was prepared beforehand? Good deeds, good works. How do you know what a good work is if you don't know the law? You only know it from the law. The law is beautiful and good, but all it is now for me is my wonderful advisor, my trusty advisor to tell me what love looks like and what my father's love looks like. But because my father's love is so big, it's bigger than the universe, bigger than time, bigger than eternity. And it's for me, because it's so big, (laughs) there is no rule that could capture all the ways I can love and all the ways you can love. That's That's why the New Testament says, against such things there is no law, right? There's no law against love, because the law of love is just full on beauty. Hugs. 
and self-sacrifice, surrender, and true love. Man, this idea, though, is meant to... Look, I remember how many times when I was younger, the rules about Christianity always seemed like unfair. Like, I wanted to have sex with my girlfriend. I wanted to do that stuff. I wanted to go do all those drugs. And I wanted to... You know, I wanted to do them. They seemed like they were having all the fun. It didn't seem fair. Anybody else ever feel this way? Am I the only one? I mean, we did. And then I, as, I, as I begin to see God's grace at work in my heart, when I begin to see what the shape of God in me is, God's shaping me. I am recreated in Christ's image. So are you, Carol. So are you, Ted. The shape of Christ's image is deeply and beautifully and eternally what? Moral and good. And that shapes inside us all now, if we know Jesus. And when we get out of shape, when we get away from that shape, we're miserable. We don't even need a law. Trust me. <laughs> we need the law. Because the presence of Christ constrains and creates Transform, builds. Mm. Let's get on to the third point. Let's see if I missed anything I wanted to say about this. Oh, you know what I wanted to say? I'm going to skip that, but I was... Eh. Oh, I do want to say one thing I wrote here. What this does is it frees us from performative religion. That's what this does. It frees us from performative religion. Performance faith where you have to appear some way for me or for others or for God in order to get the goodies, in order to get the love, in order to get the grace, in order to get the favor. In order... nah, eh, not, all that's bad. None of that's true. It's all false. Now that's wrong, right? But we fall for it. We fall for it again and again. And we're being invited into the, into the fields of the Lord and playing the... Winning! Oh, oh I remember that. That's a line from... Uh, that's a line from Dylan Thomas. Winning into the fields of praise. That's what I want us to be. <laughs> I think that's beautiful. And that's what God creates. So God's playing t-ball. He's fired the umpire. God is having his own field of dreams moment. <laughs> I hate that movie. I have never played a game of baseball in my life, so it doesn't have any, I don't really get it. I watched that movie, I got so bored, I think I fell asleep. I, I never finished it, it was just, it just seemed so silly to me, and Kevin Costner in the dream of baseball. You know? And we all know the famous words, right? If you build it, they will come, you know, whatever. And, uh, and, and, and I've even thought things like that for church, maybe if you build it, they'll come. And I was thinking, I was trying to take that meme, that idea, that phrase, and make it some application for this third point. Because the third point is not only does God playing t-ball, he sets it all up. Not only that, not only has he fired the umpire, you're, we, we're a play, we can play. It's not only all that. It's, um, it's the play is, look to your left. Look to your left right now. Look to your left. Look to your right. This is the play. This is the place. This. So get this. Verse 10 is a setup for Christians to get along in the church. Even when they're very, very, very different. And even when they don't like each other. Even when they think the other is an idiot or a fool or worse, 
a terrible, terrible Christian. They got to learn to live together. Only way to do that is if God creates, gives his T-ball, he's got to give it to us. We need him to set it up. We need, we need to be released into grace, not be feared of a condemnation. But finally, we need to remember that, that and I think this is where we kind of come into it. It, it. This will explain what I mean. Look at the last three verses. Look at the last three verses of our text. There's a wonderful cascade of, of verbs that happens here. The first one is built. Look at it in verse, uh, in verse 20. It describes us, after all this workmanship language, right? The workmanship language of verse 10 is being cashed in by Paul here as he begins to talk about us as a building. As a building being built. The first verb is built. Verse 20. Verse 21, the next verb is being joined together. And then again in verse 22, being built together. So, what I realized was is that the very first place for you to apply this is right here. This is where God calls you first to real, authentic love here. This is the first place we're supposed to love. If we don't love here, then it's all a joke out there. It's all a joke to them if we don't love here. And I had this idea, it was kind of a funny idea in my head that, um, have you ever heard this before? That as however much you pray, that is the ceiling on your spiritual life. You ever heard that? Like the idea is however, however much you're on your knees, that's kind of your limit. That's your ceiling. Like whatever it is, your, whatever your prayer life is, it's, an, it's a built-in limiter. You don't pray much, you don't grow much. That's just the way it is. There's no way around that. There are built-in limiters all over the Christian life, by the way. But one of the most built-in limiters of all is you will never grow in Christ, in this way of works, in this way of goodness, until you begin to love sacrificially the people sitting next to you. Until you start to love that way here. Until we start to love in true ways deeply. Until we start to walk with each other in real righteousness and accountability and holiness. The only change I've ever seen in my heart have been in real accountability with Corey or Ted and other brothers. That's it, guys. This isn't a joke, this isn't a game. The real work of holiness, the real... Go back through this text. There's not one singular in any of those verses. None of those promises are to personal Christians in your personal walk. No. They are cashed in, they are known, they are realized, they are tasted, they are grown into, they are massaged into life, they reveal the glory of Jesus. People come to Christ because of this. This work right here. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, look, I tell you to go to church because it's good for you. I know, personally, you don't go to church, you don't meet with God. It's not good for your soul. When we start unpacking the idea huh, that, that, no, it's more than that. Much, much more. I was talking to a dear friend recently who stopped going to church. You know what I said to her? I said, you're robbing the other Christians. You know what you see? I was in this text, what you see? We're, why are you robbing me? Why are you robbing each other? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't do well in social situations. I, 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 I'm a personal, I, I like to keep my distance. I like, amen, sure. We'll do it in community then. 
<laughs> do, it, do, it, do it together then. Do it, with, do it with others then. Be that, but let other people know. And be a part of a living life together. We can't, we can't fake this. Because this is the possibility of holiness. This is the possibility of the work of Almighty God. Because I got it. I know what God says. He doesn't say what Kevin Costner said. If you build it, they will come. Oh, I, I was trying to figure out some, some way to say this. And it, it thundered out of the text. Don't you hear what God is saying? If I build it, I will come. We are a dwelling house for who? What is the who, who lives? Who lives here? Who lives in the love between me and Corey, or me and Jack, or Jack and Joyce, and me and Gina, and me and my wife, and Ted? Who lives enthroned on the songs of our song leader as we join her? Who lives enthroned in our love? Jesus. Jesus, the King. Jesus. Amen. We have so much to hope for, don't we? We have so much available to us in God setting it all up. <laughs> in his, 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 his being ahead of us with all the details to set up every detail. So you could swing for the fences, bro. You can knock it out. It's a gift to you. It's better than that, though. It's better than that because the empire's left the field. It's fun for all. This is, this is our game. And, 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 we've, and we're winning. The Lord won. Praise Him. And if we're, if, we're, if we're playing the fields of the Lord, then that's, a, then that's the place of love. And if, if we become this place, this place where good works are happening, the good works of self-sacrifice, love, and connection with one another, prayer with one another, gentleness and love and consideration and intimacy together, all these many things, then God says, I will arrive and inhabit this place with myself. And you know what I say to that? San Francisco is not ready for that. <laughs> I don't know if we're ready for it. <laughs> but there's something here. And I want it. Do you want it with me? I want it. Let's pray. Now, Father, um, I thank you so much for your words. I, um, I pray that you would, uh, I'm asking you to, to um, please uh, forgive any of my words that, that weren't from you and, and anything that wasn't from you. I pray people would forget it. But whatever it was from you, whatever is your voice, help us to hear and repent and turn to you, Father. I thank you that you set things up for us that we, that we, we, we really don't, it really doesn't, it really isn't on us. <laughs> it's on you. And we're putting it on you. Father, set it up. Set up the good work. Set them up for each one. Every one of us, set them up. And show us how to knock them down. Just show us, Father. We thank you that we, there's no condemnation <laughs> for us in Christ Jesus. The law is inert. It can't, it can't longer accuses us. Praise you. <laughs> That's what you did at the cross? Praise you. But now, Father, now, Father, these works themselves, these good works of love and devotion and faithfulness and, and attention and compassion and generosity and presence, 
Father, teach us how to love each other. Teach us how to truly love in ways that please you and bring life. And in all this, I guess what I'm asking most of all, Father, is just to, for us to be set free. Set free by you. Anointed by the Holy Spirit. Full of joy in the good news that you love sinners. Thankful for the power of the blood of your Son to cleanse us from everything. We, well, Father, yes, Father, do things in us that we refuse to do ourselves even and get more glory for yourself. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.